I see a great man when look in the mirror. I see a great man just look in the mirror. I see a great man. I see a great man. I see a great man. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Athlete Diaries. I'm here with my boy Courtney Lay. I'm excited for him to be here. I'm excited for you guys to join us. Um, truly, Courtney, we can just get into it. Let's tell the people about yourself. Who are you? Where are you from? You know, your journey. Let's talk about it. Um, so like you said, my name is Courtney Lay. Uh, I'm originally from LaGrange, Georgia. Uh, it's about an hour south of Atlanta. Um, kind of a little country out there is what they say. But... Uh, do a little bit of everything, you know. I'm a little country. Felt like to have a little garden. Yeah. Fish a little bit. Do a little bit of everything, you know. Oh, we've never gone fishing. Oh, we did actually go fishing in college one we time. We did. I remember right. that. I at the lake. Even the lake. But yeah, that was the time Drake got his uh, pole stuck in the tree or whatever. Yeah, actually, we did go fishing with us, you right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Um, and like you know, we we met, we played football uh, together at Moorhead. Um. It was 2017 to 2020. Now, ever since then, I've been kicking it um, in Lexington. Get my master's there. I'm just trying to figure out my career, my path, exactly what it is I'm trying to get myself into. You're, um, so I talk, I see Courtney, we see each other, what, probably once every two, three weeks or something like that. No, facts. And you just got done doing, um, yeah, so explain to people your research that you just did. This is kind of crazy. Mm -hmm. I, I've, you've told me a few times, and I, each time mm -hmm. I just kind of, yeah. So I work with um, the Spinal Cord and Brain Injury Research Center at UK. Uh, so it's a neuroscience department. And my research, we focused on military-type occupational blasts. So, you know, like a blast from a mortar or something like that that might occur. So not actually like the flame itself, but like that blast waves that occur before the flame and like that pressure and like the vascular changes and how does it affect the brain and sort of tissue and different things like that. So in my study, uh, I end up kind of mimicking, like I said, that military type blast. Um, so we end up having some rat models that we um, end up studying. Um, so we end up giving them a about 11 PSI blast. Um, so kind of very similar to what military type um, will experience like out, you know, like Afghanistan, Iraq, you know, just looking at that. I want to say 50% of injuries that occurred during those Iraq and Afghanistan were blast type related exposures. Um, so just trying to figure out because there is one more thing about that there is no primary treatment, so there's no medication to sort of treat the primary blood barrier breakdown or the vascular changes. So um, in science world, that's what we're trying to kind of figure it out right now is concussions, military blast type explosions and things. What is a way that we can sort of treat that? What is a medication? What, what um, looking at mitochondrials, looking at oxygen production, um, vascular, like the networks, blood capillaries type deal. <laughs> Just looking at all the different stuff. Yeah. So I looked at blood capillaries. That's what I did. Uh, so I ended up doing like an isolecting stain and it just stains for like uh, 
dicrocalyx of the sugar residues in the blood vessels. So I tried to map out the actual blood vessels itself of the brain. Yeah. Um, and then I compared it between my blast and my non-blast and seen that in my blast rats, that vascular area covered of just blood vessels or vascular um, was decreased in those rats. So it is showing, like I say, research has shown that um, some vascular changes does happen from that. And even from my little research that I got into this summer, um, and I actually got a chance to present all of that. So I made like a 10 PowerPoint slide and everything, like a little 10 minute presentation and got a chance to present in front of, you know, a hundred people, a bunch of doctors, directors, bunch of people there man it was, it was a great experience it was i mean it it kind of opened up my eyes a little bit into um this world of like a professor i could go get my phd and kind of right. become a professor yeah. and kind of do that kind of route and it did kind of open up my eyes to that i did I something like, you might be interested in mm -hmm. did you always want to go into the medical field like how'd you get into that <sighs> yes so about sixth grade um my brother tore his ACL playing basketball. He's six years older than me, so he was about 11, 12th grade at that time. Um, and he tore his ACL playing basketball. Um, and I just remember I went to like every doctor visit with him, like everyone he had and everything. And I was just looking at it like, but ain't pretty cool back here. Like, I, I feel like I could do this, you know? Um, so ever, ever since about sixth grade, I was kind of interested into the medical field. Um, at first, I wanted to be a doctor. Kind of falling off a little bit of that route just because of some of the stigmas and things that come with the doctor and all. I rather, like I'm a family man, you know. I I want to see my kids grow up. I want to see them play ball. You know, my dad was at every single game, you know, different things. I want, I want to better do some things like that, you know. Right. So I'm kind of looking at time management kind of careers, different things that I could really use to truly be a family man. I understand that. That's important. Yeah, especially as a father, I can get that. Yeah, uh, especially when you see a little man sitting there and you're holding him for the first time and stuff, it really makes you start to realize what actually is important and what is not as important. And, you know, I don't, um, so like that's actually one of the issues I've had, like when it comes to like dating and like modern women is I'm just kind of like, like, I don't, uh, like, of course, like I want my wife to be driven and like have her own passions and stuff. But like even me to a point, like I stopped my desire to be a football coach has dwindled down just because at a point I was like I'm chasing my own vanity and ego in coaching and like yeah I could help some guys change their lives and this and that but like I would literally win games and I don't I would never want to put my things above my sons or my other kids so yeah, once you make it like that, it's very easy for me to try to choose a career where I don't have to, I can make my own schedule. Right. Which of course, you know, being a business owner, you don't really make your own schedule like they try to tell you you do. But like, you know what I'm saying? Like I can be more stern and like, nah, my kid has a game. My kid has this, my kid has that. My kids have this and that, that I'm going to make sure I'm at. So I can, I can agree with that, but it's very, uh, yeah, I can agree with that. Most definitely. Like, one of the biggest things that I feel like I can feel like in my career, like as being an athlete, like even to Moorhead type, that my parents came to pretty much all of my games. Yeah. You know, like I was able to look up in the stands and be able to see them, like just yeah. knowing that they were there type deal. And it's like, I know a lot of people that 
Like, I know some friends that, like, I used to take home after games. And, like, they mama and daddy be sitting in the house. Mm. Like, kicking it. Kicking it. Like, wouldn't even come get them after the game, come pick them up. Like, didn't even come to the game. Nothing else like that. Like, you know, just. Yeah, I couldn't imagine. I know. And I, that's, that's just, I hate that. Because, right? you yeah. know, I watched my daddy take many people home. Like, you know what I'm saying? Just. And, and that's another big reason why I want to be there for my child as well, too, because I feel like I had a father figure that was there at a lot of those times. And even not for me, but for somebody else as well, too, yeah. you know, was able to take somebody else home, do this and do those certain things in those times yeah. that, I mean, I just didn't see a whole lot of. Like, yeah. you know. Community dad. Yeah, you know, kind of you know, he coached me growing up, like coached me baseball and everything. So. He was there at every single game, every single practice type deal. Like I had somebody there for me. It was just you gotta move that close to me. No, you can move it. Like, oh, okay. Move it. Yeah, if you want to lean back, you move it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Perfect. I know this chair a little squeaky. Yeah. I'm trying to be still. Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but no, he, he was there at every single game, every single appointment. I'm just a father, a community father, like you yeah. said. And that, that's just a big thing to me too, because like even now I see some people that's just. Growing up without a father type deal, and I don't, I don't really like that. I'm a very advocate for a two parent household. Yeah. And now, 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 don't be, you know, in a bad situation to be yeah, in a two parent household, but raise kids. Men are and needed. Make them. Yeah, men are needed in a household for sure. Facts. For sure. We talk about that pretty often. Facts. For sure. Especially nowadays. And it's kind of crazy, like the trickle down effect it has. Like when you look at the big picture things, like right now going on in our world. The lack of men in the house, how soft Americans have gotten, how soft men have gotten in general, because they're more boys now than they are men, if we want to be completely honest. And so, yeah, no, two-parent households. You know, I actually, um, there was a stat line, I was listening to some woman, and she was saying that, like, the single father household produced the same amount of productivity and lack of criminals as a two-parent household. A single mother household is double that, triple that, or whatever the number was. And so, like, when you put that in perspective, it's like, so how important is a father? Not even just for the male, but the female as well, right? Because, like, for a female, like, as a father, like, I, I would be the example of what you're looking like mm -hmm. or looking for in a husband. So I'm her first line of what a great man's supposed to be. Right, so if you don't grow up having that, you have to grow up with a bit of moms telling you all these things, men aren't this, men aren't this, you can do all this by yourself, you don't need a man, look what I'm doing without a man. And my whole argument to that is, ask your mom genuinely if she would have been happier with a good man. Not your father, not, you know what I'm saying, a good man. Like, ask her that. You feel me? And I guarantee you, a hundred times over a hundred times, she'll be like, yeah. If she's real with herself. Right, I don't get into the whole men don't need women, women don't need men. Like, nah, we need each other. Like, we need each other, a hundred and ten percent. And I can tell you, like, after having my son, I've been, I've become more aligned with that theory. And like, but at the same time, bro, like my standard for what I want my wife to be has risen, like so high so high like so high and especially once you put it in perspective like my daughter's gonna look up to you so now it's well what do i want my daughter to grow up like who do i want my daughter to like betray herself after right and those are all the kind of things that have made me like we look at like what i want into a wife and it's yeah it's crazy it's crazy yeah i agree with you yeah
And like I was saying earlier, but like I, I want my wife to have passions and all this, but like mm-hmm. at the same time, like like I was saying, like with my career, like our kids come first. Like that is the most important. Our kids' well-being, our kids' success. Mm-hmm. That's because that's our legacy. Like no matter what I build with this company, no matter what I build like in life, like my legacy is those is my kids, the people that walk around with my last name when I leave, and what they do in this world. And that's what's like so important to me. And when I find a woman that understands that, ah, oh, wow, that's facts. That's yeah, that's facts, man. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's crazy. And I feel you on that though. I like you know. I think think you said a very a very good point. You was talking about like we daughters look for father type figures. You know, same thing for like men. Like, yeah. You know, we look for people that was just like our mom. Oh yeah. You know, like deal like somebody we can ride and chill with like that. Like. And I'm kind of looking forward now for like that kind of best friend type deal. I know you're talking about we, we kind of need each other. I mean, you almost kind of do. Like, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like, even on the football field, like, you know, offense needed defense sometimes. Defense needed offense. You know, there was just sometimes offense maybe could have handled it and got the whole game done by themselves. But you, defense got a turnover and they got a seven points for us. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, sometimes you just need to build up off of each other. You just better make that happen for the kids. Do you believe in uh, 50-50 or 100-100? I feel like the levels and the number of it will change and that will make a good relationship. So not every single time is it going to be 50-50. Like, you know, after a Saturday game, you know what I'm saying? Like, you tired. Like, you know, if it was a 50-50 deal, like we had to get some running done or something. Like, everybody's tired. Like, it's kind of hard for me to just give all of my 50 that I might have right now. You feel me? But at there's times, I'm going to give you the best 30 that I got. And can you make up the other 70 for me? So I feel like numbers are going to change throughout of it. But finding that one or the one that you can vibe with, that y'all can make that maneuver itself through, is kind of the way to go. Like trying to find that best friend. Like, you know, your best friend. Sometimes you don't call your best friend. But your best friend called you. Like, you know what I'm saying? Kind of like other things around. Like, y'all might not speak today, but he called you tomorrow. Like, and y'all still cool off of that. Like, no one really has a hard feeling about that. Like, bounce up off each other and fill up off each other. Some days, I'm better to give you all 100 that I got. But some days, you might not be able to give me that. And I understand that because that's just life. Well, that makes sense. That makes sense, and I'm happy. I'm happy you use the football analogy or the team analogy. So I, I'll tell you, I'm working on a book. I think mm-hmm. we talked about this. Yeah, yeah we yeah. talked about this. I'm working on a few books, but one of the books I'm working on, competing in love, right? Mm-hmm. You got it, competing in love. And so my analogy, I, I, I believe one that it should be a hundred, a hundred. And like I agree with you, the numbers are gonna change, but the numbers should not be fifty, fifty. Like the fifty is where I disagree. Um, I think 50 or so like matching energies and all that kind of mm-hmm. thing like that kind of stuff like that's why relationships don't work and people are miserable because you're not giving your all to somebody and and when you're not giving your all to somebody one it's easier to put up a facade so that's why people can fake who they are for a few months and then you know along the lines a real person comes along or I'm not so like like if you look online right and a lot of the gender arguments and like all this stuff is kind of like well, I'm not doing this because men don't do this. And the men are like, well, I'm not doing this because women don't do that. And it's like, it's kind of like, but do y'all not see the paradox 
that you guys are in. So neither of you are giving 100% because the other one's not giving 100%. So eventually, one of you has to give 100%. And you know me, you very religious, godly man. I think as men, we're supposed to be the leader. We take control of the situation. We're the ones who give it. So like, if I, so like, I don't match energies. I'll leave. I'm gonna give you a hundred and hundred percent, hundred and ten percent. Like if, I, if we're gonna do this thing, like I, I, we're, you know, what I'm saying we're having this relationship, mm -hmm. we're building this. I'm giving you a hundred percent day one, like from the jump. Like the moment is time we decide this is what we're doing. You, I'm treating you like that. And I'm going to show you what it's like to be over here. And you should want to do the same. Mm -hmm. So, like, people are, so, like, a woman who's like, wow, you got to earn, like, my wife, me to be wifey or whatever. Like, I'm not about to just be wifey off rip. And it's like, so how do you expect to make it to the next level? Like, how do it, like, for me, I'm not going to, I'm not going to continue down this path with you when I don't even know what you're truly bringing to the table or what your wifey looks like. You know what I'm saying? So, me personally, I'm like 110% the whole time. The whole time. And as soon as you're like, I'm not giving you a hundred blah blah blah, and it's like I bet I promise you I'm not gonna lower my energy. So I'm either going to leave, or it's you for me, or we're just gonna be a missing energies. And I promise you I'm going to leave because I'm not lowering my energy because that doesn't do anything for any of us. We're not figuring each other out truly. So that's why I'm saying it has to be a hundred, a hundred. And then I say competing in love because, but so like back to your team thing, right? Offense, defense, whatever. The other team is reality. The other team is other people trying to break up your relationship. The other team is one of your parents dying. The other team is financial problems. The other team is situations that could tear this relationship apart. So we haven't been competing to be the best versions of ourselves in this relationship. We have no hope when those other things come and hit us in the face. We have no hope whenever things get hard. What are we going to do? We're going to turn on each other. We're going to blame the other person. We're going to, you know what I'm saying? It's not going to, this person does this and I do this and they don't do that. And it's all these different reasons on why we didn't work. But in all reality, we're not, we never were a hundred percent with each other. So when reality hits, we can't, we don't compete. Reality wins every time as a unit. Yeah, I might win as an individual. That's because I was 50% on me anyways. That's actually a pretty good point. I you know what like I'm saying? Mm -hmm. you know because, what I'm... I mean, I'm thinking like as a practice perspective, like I can't go into practice and only give 50%, 80% or nothing else like that. Like it's got to be that full 100 of everything I got. Or when it comes to that game time and we do hit that adversity, I'm not prepared exactly, exactly for that moment. Exactly. You know? Exactly. And it's kind of the same thing in a relationship. Think about it. Think about it, buddy. You're going against a teammate. He's been giving you a 50% look the whole week. Mm -hmm. What does that game look like? Did you play your best in that, against that opponent? Whatever that might opponent might be. You know what I'm saying? So I don't, it, to me, I never, I didn't, I don't understand the matching energies in the 50 50. It should be 100 100. 100 100. And some days you're right. I might be able to only give you 95. I just went to work, got my ass kicked, whatever. You know what I'm saying? Whatever. But that's why you also, uh, another thing that I say is, you don't find someone who's perfect. You find someone who's compatible. Mm -hmm. Where do, Can she pick up where you lack? Does she help you where you might fall short? And she picks you up. And she's able to carry some of the burdens and some of the things that you have going on. And the same vice versa. Right? If I'm... If I'm we can go back to the sports talk. If I'm a, a running, running back, right? It doesn't do me any favors to have the same running back behind me, mm -hmm. right? It doesn't do me any favors to have a quarterback who can't throw, doesn't do me any favors, right? We're a passing team, doesn't do me any favors to have all alignment that can't pass block. 
You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not about who's perfect. It's about who's compatible. Are we compatible? Are we work withable? Right? Can we com can we compartmentalize all the things that we need to do in our relationship together? Because that's what matters. Yeah, that's why I like that kind of starting off as like best friends kind of like deal. Because yeah. I mean, you you really get to know someone then. Like, let me better understand you as a person before we kind of really just move into a whole bunch of other steps. Facts. 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 Take it, take it. I don't, uh, no, facts. That's kind of funny. Um, I was just, uh, but actually, so you know who I texted yesterday and today? Your man's Rich Duffield. <laughs> Good old Rich. <laughs> and, um, him, cause so him and I were having a conversation about mm -hmm. like a year and a half ago. We were talking about, well, actually, me and you were I just kind of having the same kind of conversation the other day. We were talking about him. And how he didn't have sex with his wife until they were married and all that kind of stuff. And um, and it's kind of crazy, bro, because, what, they only dated for like a year and a half? Something like that. I don't know the exact time. You know, yeah, something you like know, that. And I was telling my boy Dante that you don't need, you shouldn't need like four years, three years to figure out that person's the one. If you, you know what I'm saying? You shouldn't take that long. If it takes that long, then that probably means that's mm -hmm. not it. You're waiting for something to change. You're waiting for uh, uh, the potential, right? They have the potential. You can't marry potential. You can't marry potential. You can't do it. And sitting around waiting for the potential to sprout into something will have you sitting around waiting for four years. And so I brought up the rich thing to think because it's kind of crazy how, like you were saying, like the best friend process or whatever, mm -hmm. by delaying sexual things you kind of have to stay in that mm -hmm. best friend phase right like yeah you guys can kiss and yeah you might have sex once or twice like you might like break and do that but like it it changes the dynamics completely and so therefore like once you have sex like you're not working under the same brain chemical as you whatever if you wouldn't your brain is not as clear on your decision making so like my man who was in a relationship for four years if you feel me? For you to be like, nah, I don't think I can marry her, but we don't know yet. And you're going to keep, you know what I'm saying, doing this, keep doing that. Why are you staying? Is it because she's putting it on you late at night? You feel me? Like, why are you, like, genuinely, why are you staying? Like, if you can't, after a two years, if you can't be like, oh, yeah, she's wifey. I want to marry her. Why are you, why are you staying? You know what I'm saying? Like, why are you staying? So... Once you once we had that conversation the other day and I started putting that together, mm -hmm. I kind of started being like, man, so now I get it. Why you should wait to have sex because at a point, but when you take that away, why are you staying? Facts. And then too, like when you open up that doors to a lot of different things, and like you say, it's compatible. You do a lot of chemistry, everything like that. Like, that's that's traumatic. Like when you kind of leaving about that. When you know, if it's something just cut off, just like that type deal, like. Everybody said this when you was 18, 19, you know what I'm saying, kind of like deal, but you know, as we all do, we, we think we got it in different things, but I mean, that's actually pretty true. Because I mean, like even the relationship that I'm in now, like we still battle from a lot of past kind of like baggage, you know, that it was just like, we honestly both look at each other and was just like, dang, I wish I met you when I was 15, you know what I'm saying? Like. Before before anything else ever happened, before college, before high school, like before anything, like you know what I'm saying. Wish I met you then because it will make a lot, make everything now just a lot easier. Like you know, there's 
we was talking about the 50-50 or whatever type deal. Like, there are some nights, like, you know what I'm saying? That's just something might have been traumatic, and she only got 40, and that's what she got. Like, you know what I'm saying? And you got to better be there to try to help better be that because of that past, because of that. You know, I really respect Rich for, for trying to tell us a lot of that. You know, I love Rich. He's a good person. He was. Uh, he, taught, he taught us a lot, you know, but it was just being a college football player it's it's, it's just kind of hard to really listen to a lot of it you know yeah, yeah. but no i mean it, it was a lot yeah I would, I would say going back in college knowing what i know now i probably would have done a lot of things different a lot of things different mm -hmm. um and one yeah a lot of things different but it's hard to say that bro it's really so i always struggle with that kind of conversation because it's kind of like bro like look at where you're, you're at now in life mm -hmm. and like i don't think i would trade anything for my son maybe the scenario i had him in maybe the situation but like if you if you're telling me that by not doing the things that i did in college and putting myself in those situations and my own, you for me, um, you know me, full accountability. I don't mm -hmm. blame no, no BCD, no blame complaining defendant. I, you for me is my I, BCD. You for me, look, we don't do that here. Like it's me. Like I, you for me, I put myself in a situation, whatever. Mm -hmm. To say like, oh, I wouldn't get the same son, then it's like, nah, no, I want to do those same things again. Mm -hmm. You for me, so it's very hard for me to to say that like, oh, I would go back and do so many things differently. It's like I don't know. You know, I think I think we had this discussion one day, like in one of our book clubs one time. It was just like, you know, would you ever go back and change or do anything different? Um, and I want to share I answer that as being no. Because I feel like in every every situation, it's either a lesson or a blessing, you know? So you you take it, you figure out what it is that you need to learn from this and better grow from it. Or you take this as your blessing. And now you better take your blessing and how can you better now grow with your blessing? Right. But every single situation and everything that happened, you know, I think we talked about this too. I feel like God put you in places the way you need to better be, you know? Because I felt like out of out of college, out of a four-year bachelor's degree, I had a degree in biomedical science. I played football, was a team captain, different things and stuff like that. Like, I felt like I could go anywhere, you know? And when I did get turned down from a lot of places, I kind of, not like battle with God. I mean, I felt like I was kind of mad at God for a little bit because I'm like, I'm not to have my life planned out, God. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, what, what's going on? But I feel like there was a lot of things he wanted to sit me down and just kind of show me. Like, yeah, you've been blessed a lot up in your life, but here, here's a time for a couple lessons, you know, type deal. And just some things that I need to better learn about myself. Even like, because I say now, like, if he put me as to being a doctor out of college, you know, do I still go through that same exact route right now? Or do I look at it saying I'd rather be a family man? You know, kind of like deal like because I'm also too. I want to be like a like if I went in there, I want to be like the surgeon. Like I want, yeah, I, I want to be a big dog. Like yeah. you know, and and I think we talked about this too earlier, just talking about being like your own selfishness. And I kind of felt like that was a little bit of just me being selfish itself. Like I wouldn't want to listen to what God wanted me to do going this route. I would have been trying to do what I wanted to do up in this route. And I think that's another reason why he just wanted to go ahead and shut that door. It was just like, nah, because I got, I feel like I got a couple different plans for you and some other things I want you to see. Maybe I'll open it up later for you. But there's some things right now that I need you to sit down and just kind of learn. And the last two, two and a half years for me like that, just been a lot of blessings. I'm still blessed. Cause like I said, I'm still here getting my master's. I'm still figuring out life and everything and this is that. But I feel like there was a lot of lessons that he wanted to teach me that I feel like I would not have been ready for 
if he would have gave it to me back in the day, if he would have blessed me with that back in the day. No, I agree with that. I agree with that. And it's God's plan, not yours. Yeah. You know, if you got a plan, you might as well write the plan, envision the plan, wake up in the, the beginning. Trash. Yeah, wake up in the beginning of the day, throw it in the trash, because the plan's not going to go that way. I promise you. Yeah, fine. it's not going to go that way. No, I agree with that. So that leads me to this question. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I preferenced it. What is the hardest thing, you know, I, let me start. You know, I ask everybody this question. Okay. Okay. What is the hardest thing you've been through in your life, and what did you do to get through it? Hmm. The process, the journey. Let's, let's break it down as much as we can. So the truest, hardest thing I feel like I've done uh, was, if we're gonna just kind of leave like a love of di different things about it, we're gonna do football and trying to get a biomedical science degree together. Um, because if people, I know a lot of people, I know you know in different things, but football was 50 hours a week plus. Like, plus, that's, that's at the field. Yeah, it, it was tremendous amount of hours. And then I want to say, like, they passed a new rule that said you had to pass 11 or 12 credit hours towards your degree. Well, when I went to Clark and then I transferred out and all, I had already had like some of the classes for my degree or some of the like elective classes. So I had no choice but to take cell biology, uh, anatomy two, organic two, microbiology, all in the same exact semester. Like that's how it was for me my junior and senior year because to stay on track to graduate and be eligible to play football, I had to pass 11 to 12 and I had already took all my electives. So I was literally stuck there with just trying to take all of these four or five hard classes together. And then when junior year comes around and you really start playing a little bit, you know, well, we flew to Florida, we flew to New York, we flew to California. Like those were days we had tests on Monday. Like I remember, I never forget when we flew to Drake, when we flew to Iowa, me and JP, Jacob Peterson, he was another biomedical science major with me. Um, I'm gonna say he's at Ohio right now, medical yeah. school. Yeah. Uh, that's my boy, I still talk to him a little bit. He just got married, didn't he? Oh, he's about to get married? Is he going, he's about to I get married? I think he's either about to get, I know he ain't got, I know he's engaged, but I don't know if he's he about to get married. married or not. I don't know. Someone, so Tanner Duncan just got married. Mm-hmm. And who was the other one? Kaylin? Kaylin. There was someone else. Um, Lyman. For some reason, but I thought it was Peters. For some reason, I, I thought it was Peters. Yeah, I had to check this. Yeah. I, had to check yeah, this yeah, I didn't call him in a minute though. Yeah. Um, but I never forget that trip to drinking Iowa. Me and JP were the only two lights in the back trying to study. Like, yeah. cause we, I believe we had a cell biology test the next day, and like we were both trying to study from that. Yeah. So. I tell you, that was one of the hardest things I've done, just trying to roll back and forth. Like, it was a lot of nights I didn't sleep till two, three, just trying to study, just trying to do this. And that's another reason why I was kind of like, I felt like I was mad a little bit at God because I felt like I had put in so much work and so much time. How can you not bless me with what I feel like I deserve, you know, whatever I feel like. But that was the hardest, just trying to balance and time manage all of that out. And it's still making me happy to deal with it a little bit to this day. I was I graduated with like a three four-ish type GPA, so I'm still not the three sevens, three eights that they really wanted to kind of see. Um, so it still kind of made me battle a little bit, even when I was applying to school, of my time management, this and this and that. And I don't really think many people see how hard that was. Right. Like to really be invest, like you say, of real 
invested into a football team. You know, you lifting weights, you watching practice, you got to go to treatment, you got to have practice. Like we're talking eight, seven, eight hours a day. Like, you know what I'm saying? Along with the other two, three classes that I got to take. Um, so I feel like that was probably probably the hardest thing I've done. And I'm still trying to overcome it now. Like I said, I'm in there getting my master's and things now. Um, so I'm still just trying to overcome it and just trying to figure out what path and what career that I feel like is just truly right for me and what God wants me to lead me to. Um, but that was hard. And if, if I had a son and football was not their end goal and they wasn't really thinking or really projected to go to the NFL and they wanted to be a doctor, I wouldn't tell them to play football. I mean, it's just, it's just a hard road to balance. Yeah, do both. And that's why you don't see a lot of them. I hate yeah. to say it, but you just thought it's it's a hard road to balance. Yeah, even at Vandy now, all of them are becoming doctors. They're doing like other stuff. So yeah, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. You know, it's kind of crazy that you brought this up because I was just having this argument with someone the other day about all the college football realignment and stuff. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the Missouri coach came out and was like, we did we think about the student athletes and all the stuff that they have to go through and all the traveling and blah, blah, blah. And my whole thing was like, yo, so, so let me get this straight. We're mad that now the prima donnas at the D1 level who been getting everything handed to them now have to travel a little farther? Because as you stated, and I remember clearly, we traveled to California, Florida, New York, Iowa, Iowa in the middle of the, and we're in the middle of Kentucky, and we did those flights, and we flew commercial. Because one of his arguments was a softball team flies commercial. Bet 115 of us on the football team flew commercial. Had to Cincinnati Airport. What about that the trip uh, to San Diego? Mm -hmm. We didn't get back to Louisville till five a.m. Mm -hmm. and then had yeah, then got back to Moorhead. Yes, and then we had to be back there yes, like at twelve the and one yes, yes. yes, yeah, and no one felt sorry for us. So that so I was like, but look, I, you know me, bro. I'm I have this slight like ten percent impact. You feel me? So I was like, but I get it. I'm not saying that what I did was easy. But I'm saying that if you want me to feel sorry for these people now that they have to do that, I don't. Because where they still differ is the meals they get, the, the attention they get, the student help they get at the athletic, you know what I'm saying, the academic centers and all that. We didn't get that. Like at the, at the end of the day, we didn't get any of that. And we still had to do all that traveling and back and forth and not getting into Sundays and still having to go to class Monday with tests and this and that. So now, you feel me, like, once again, just everyone being soft. Like, I was just sitting there listening to them, but, like, I don't, you're not getting any sympathy from me. We we did that. We've done that. The only sympathy I feel like I would give them is just for the people who want to come watch them play. Like, you know, I'm, I'm, you know yeah. what I'm saying? I'm I sure you, everybody got a few grandmas, moms, yeah. dads, auntie, uncles, you know, that might not be able to travel like yeah. that, you know? Like, I know my granny, but she ain't getting on no plane. Yeah. I don't care how much you bag her, she ain't getting on no plane. So, like, that's the only, I kind of feel sympathy in that place yeah. because, you know, I feel like some of their parents and some of their family yeah. might they did want a lot to, to see get, them. They did a lot to get you here, so they deserve to see you. But I can give you that. Mm -hmm. That's part of the reason why I didn't go crazy far from my family, mm -hmm. you know? But now, at those big schools like that, but they got a lot of student-athlete, um, like, um, academic people. They help. I want to say like they actually have a team that travels with them, and you know they they help them with all their schoolwork and there. But we ain't had none of that at Moorhead. We ain't had none of. Uh, I go ahead and tell you, Moorhead. 
I loved it. Now, don't get me wrong. I grew a lot. And I learned I mean, a lot. Well, I, say this, I say this every time I have someone on Moorhead on my podcast. Going to Moorhead and being expected to hold the standard of a full scholarship D1 athlete at the football level and not getting any of that made you a better man, yes or no? Oh, 100%. 100%. And wouldn't trade that? Nope. No. No, I agree with that. 100%. 100%. And you say, I mean, because even in the league that we played in, like, we were the only public school yeah. in that league. Yep. So for, like, um, where does Steph Curry? Davidson. Yep. Like, San Diego, all the rest of them, they but, had yeah. private, yeah. like, scholarships that they yeah. did. Yeah. We didn't have none of that. Nope. You got the tier one, tier two, or tier three. Yep. That's all you and had. that was all based on academic. That's it. And... Everything else, and like even Coach Rose, he came from Cincinnati, so it wasn't like we were at had a guy who came from a smaller program or something of this, this, that. He came from the Cincinnati, and all of his workouts were still designed like they kind of were at Cincinnati. He still, you know, he was a big Saban fan. That's why I love him too, uh, Coach Rose, and all. I liked a lot of his his statements and all. I love Coach Rose. Me and him still talk. He called me uh, last time. He called me uh, the day he found out about my mom. Mm. He called me and he's like, "Man, I'm sorry to hear like him. I talked on the phone for like 45 minutes." I like Coach Rose. Yeah, One of his favorite statements I think he got from Saban was, uh, "Be where your feet are." Oh, uh, yeah. So at all times. So, you know, if we here at a football field, your mind needs to be right here on the football field. Yeah. We in there watching film, your mind needs to be right there. So be your mind needs to be exactly where your feet are. And I want to say that was like one of my first two, three months kind of being that. Yeah. And that's always just kind of stuck with me or whatever from yeah. Coach Rhodes. That's what sticks with you from Coach Rhodes? I, mean, I, I remember all this positive stuff too, but I also sure. remember the I remember to... two stories. Two of them. But at one time, okay, he just said we was just sorry. We weren't working that day. We weren't doing that right and then blah, blah, blah. He said, you know what? Forget it. None of y'all come back in the weight room. He went over there and locked the door to the weight room. Next thing you know, we look out. He unlocks the door and he takes everybody's stuff and throws it out the weight room and says, y'all are not allowed to come back in here today. I'm talking about, bro. You know, we all had the same underarm shoes, too. So, bro, I had two left feet for a whole week. Like, everybody's shoes were just thrown out there and yeah, everything. And everything yeah. But, like, he taught you a lesson, though. Yeah. You're not going to show up. But, I mean, show that was for real, though, because I think you was talking about it earlier. Like, yeah. in life, every day you got to come ready to work. Yeah. You do. Like, yep. there is no, I don't feel good. I just don't feel like working today. Yeah. Kind of like, it doesn't. Like, it. It, it doesn't. like, you got to come ready to work every single day. And if you don't, there's punishments that lies between that. Nah, facts. 100%. Nah, that man Yeah, he was, he was real. He was. He was real. And that day, Zach, uh, I think Zach, quarterback Zach, um, went down to his left leg. And he said, go to your right. He went down to his left and he looked at Zach. This was a media day, too. So we had, like, media cameras and everything out there. Looked at him straight in his face and said, you the reason I believe in abortion right there. But he used to say that to so many people. Just like that. But he told him to say, go down to your right, you went to the left. You, I got told you, but you ever heard the story of what he told Pat Rice? Uh, so we were in my freshman year, we were in camp. You know, my freshman year, we were still allowed to do two-a-days. Yeah. So we were doing two-a-days. And this was like practice 12 on day six or something like that. You feel me? And, but he, Pat was being soft. Like You know what I'm saying? Like, we were all out there. It was hot for all of us. Like, you feel me? The turf is burning all of our cleats. Coach Hill, you know how crazy he was. Yeah. We were doing all the crazy stuff. Like, we were all doing it. And Pat was being extra soft. 
And so we were doing this one drill and Pat like, bruh, like almost shouldn't be, just should have just stood there. And Coach Rowe sees it. And Coach Rowe goes, Pat, you're such an effing coward. If I was you, I'd slit my wrist. And I was like, bruh, what? Did he just say that to him? And then Pat just kind of looked at him and kept going. I'm like, but then he from me after we saw, looked at Pat after that, we were kind of like, oh, nah, I get it. He's mad. Pat's, Pat's, you for me, taking he, That was like Pat's senior year, too. Mm. You for me? And it was just, I was like, yeah, Coach Rose says some crazy stuff. He says some crazy stuff. He will. But he made you a man. Oh, but didn't he? He, he kept it a buck with you. You ever get thrown out? Like, personally? Yeah. I got thrown out of a uh, run one time. For what? It was the day Coach Strobel had just got there. Like, Coach Strobel was new. And we had ran, we was running like five yards. We was running like suicides or something, right? He told us we had to run them again. And they kept saying somebody was missing the line, but they weren't saying the name. Mm-hmm. Though, they, Coach Strobel was just like, everybody need to touch the line. Let's go again or whatever, right? Yeah. And I want to say Coach Strobel came over and was like, it's you, it's this, it's that. Like, trying to holler at me or whatever. And I was like, shoot, I don't even know you like that. Like, mm-hmm. Coach, you can't just... Like, I feel you. If it's me, call me out. But yeah. you just came up here yelling at me or whatever, this, this, that. And Coach Rose was just like, oh, no. Like, we don't talk to coaches like that or whatever, this, this, that. Everybody get them buzzing. And it started making everybody buzz their feet. And I was like, I'm not finna do up bounds. That was that, you know, 18, 19-year-old me, you get a little hard-headed sometimes. But I was like, I'm not finna do up downs, bro. So he just blew the whistle and started making everybody do up downs. And I just walked off. So you didn't get thrown out. You walked up. Well, he threw me out, but he oh. threw me like, you know, that, that everybody buzzing because of him. Come on, blow the whistle. Like, you know, like one of them type situations. Well, I've had this situation before and all it does is piss you off. Like, I, don't, I don't think that's why I just walked out. Yeah, like, I was it doesn't do, it doesn't do what coaches think it does. When I was, a, when I was my senior year in high school, but and I hate doing this, but my senior year in high school, my head coach was a big to me, but that was just because like, he was like, if we lose, it's Jacob's fault. Because that was just like the three technique. And it was just like our defense is based around like the three technique. Mm-hmm. If my three technique is eating, then with the defense would do good. If my three technique is getting bullied, we're going to lose. Well, I mean, we're undefeated at this point. We're going to the first week of the playoffs. We're playing some crappy team. And he, for me, I'll give it to him. For the last two, three seasons, we should have won state championships, and we didn't. And so, like, he wasn't playing any games my senior year. And so my senior year, we had a whole practice where I sat there, and after every play, I had to watch my teammates make the tackle. And it would just be like, bro, like, I, I made the tackle. So, like, why are we making everyone else do up-downs and me stand here and watch? I don't know. And if you think this is going to make me play better, you're wrong because it doesn't. Like, I'm just getting mad, and I'm getting annoyed sitting here watching. Like, this is crazy. But I got thrown out. Coach Rose threw me out once. What you do? When was it? It was before Quentin was born. I forgot exactly when it was. But we were maxing out, bro. And hand clean, to me, I've always taken so seriously. Mm-hmm. Like, as a football player, as an athlete, hand clean is kind of exposes, like, how athletic you are, how exposed, like, explosive you are. So I've always taken hand clean so seriously. Like, my squat numbers, whatever, bench numbers, whatever. But, like, hand clean, bro... Like, I make it a personal thing. Like, I want to gain 20 pounds on this. I want to gain 10 pounds. Like, I take it very seriously. So, I was mad that day about some. I think I had some family stuff going on. So, I was, like, in my own head, like, mad that day. And I um, went for 265 on Hank Queen. Mm-hmm. And I got it swimmingly for me. Then I went and put 275 on. And I pulled it up to here. And then when I went to clean it, it slipped. 
well, he didn't let me try again. And I was just like, well, I'm going to try again. Like, it doesn't have to count as my max, but for my own personal, mm -hmm. I'm not walking away from this bar until I get it, because I know I can get it. You don't have to count it. That's on you. I don't care. But I'm not walking away from this bar. And, like, that's just kind of, like, who I am. Like, if I set my mind to doing this thing and I know I can do it, I promise you I'm not going to walk away until I get it. And so he didn't like that very much. So he kind of walked away and, like, let it happen. And then so, like, I tried to do it again and, like, his assistant comes over and he's like, Willie, just take it off. You didn't get it. And I was like, nah, just don't count it. Like, just whatever. You feel me? So then I tried it again, didn't get it. So then the fourth time, I got it. Coach Rose goes, Willie, did we not tell you to do this, blah, 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 blah? I'm like, yeah, but he, he said it wasn't going to count. And I said, that's fine. And he goes, oh, so you're calling him a liar, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, bro, what are you talking about? Get the F out. You'll never be a leader. You're always so emotional, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, bro, like, what? Like, what are you talking about? Like, I just wanted to get this weight. And so, yeah, it was just, uh, yeah, he was just being a dickhead. Mm -hmm. He was just being a dickhead. And I got it, though. Like, at a point, like, you told me just to take the weight off, whatever. I was slowing somebody else up, but, like. No, bro, like, I put that weight on that bar. I knew I could get it. I'm not walking away from it. And that's just how I am. And, like, from a good intentions, bad decision, I guess. I'm glad you said that, too, about the hand cleaning, how athletic you are. Because that is very, very true. Because I go out, the hardest thing that I've ever tried to learn, I feel like, in the weightlifting was a technique of hand cleaning. Like, because in high school, I mean, we just threw that mug up. Like, we were strong enough to just take 185, 200, 215, and just throw it up and just been hold it right here. But when you get to that first day and they give you that pipe, and they tell you it's supposed to sit back like this, and you should be able to squat, and you should be able to press, and you should be able to do all this, that's a true That's a true test of athleticism. True. And it took, I go and tell you, if you like a high school athlete and you learning, Stop Stop trying to do 200 pounds. Stop trying to do 225, all that. Break that mug down to 135 and get the technique of it. Because literally when you get that actual technique and learn how to explode like that, it translates directly over to the football field. And on top of that, you feel me, whenever you get your wife, you feel me, she'll like you more if you got good explosive hips. Just a, right, you know what I'm saying? Just a little. I'm just saying, you for me. You got good hips. I'm just saying, bro. You for me. This is you for me. Good hips, good forearms. like you a whole lot more. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Hey, yeah. Look, she'll like you a whole lot more with good hips, good and flexible, powerful hips. You make her happy. You're right. It's something you might want to. You for me? Yeah. No, hand cleaning is good for you for me as a. Yeah, I agree, bro. Hand cleaning most definitely. I don't. Uh, I never understood how good I uh, got to college and never tried hand cleaning. Like I didn't never. I never understood like how you guys didn't try it. Like in like high school, if you yeah. were lifting. Like how did you how did your coach not understand like what hand cleaning actually can do for you as an athlete? Yeah, no. My in high school we we hand clean mm -hmm. like twice a week. And you know like the kicking your feet out like we I used to do that a lot in high school. But I just kick them arms out and be leaning back sideways. I yeah. stood up with it, coach. Like you know type deal. But when you figured out how to explode and stay in that same exact location and everything, yeah. it's totally different. And your numbers will jump, jump through the roof. Jump. Jump through the roof. Crazy. Yeah. You know what? I might hand clean today just because you fucking. Yeah, I love I'm the not. hand clean. I hand, <laughs> I'm not. 
I love my hamstrings, but this stuff is so much fun to me. My wrist don't bend, bro. That mug hurt to sit here like this. I don't even, but what? I don't even, I don't even use, no. I almost, when I hang clean in front squat, I almost could take my hands away and lay them lay right here. Like, I put it so much, it's all right here. My hands are just there. That's why it's supposed to be. Mm -mm. I don't like squatting either, bro. Well, front squatting is my favorite thing to do. That's the worst thing they ever been. Because it's so hard, bro. It's so hard. That's why I like it. You front squat, you got to keep your whole core tight. Your whole posterior chain has to get involved in it. It's not just your legs mm -hmm. and your thighs. Oh, what's You're that? What's that one bar we used to use with the oh, handles this, right yeah, here? Yeah, the football the bar. Safety, safety squat bar? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Get your form right, boy. You got no choice but to sit up with that mug and come back up. Yeah, that's why I like. That's why I like front squat. It's very, it's a very uh, athletic thing you got to do. Yeah, no, it's crazy. I was hoping, but I feel we get more God talking here, more life talk. We be talking almost everything. Females. Yeah. Well, you for me, you're you're in a happy you're in a happy relationship and stuff now, and I'm single, but I feel like I know what I'm talking about to an extent. Right. You know, but they say you shouldn't get advice from someone who's not doing it, so that's why I don't get relationship advice. That's true. You know, but I give uh, advice and tell men how to be men, and that usually turns into relationship advice to an extent. Just a little bit. True. You know. No, that's crazy though. Mm. Man, I had another question, but I lost it after we started talking about hand cleans. I got excited. Started thinking about what I was hand cleaning after. Man. So, what else you got going on? Life in general? I got one more year at front of this Masters. Uh, I you decided what you're doing? Yeah, do it. yeah, I know we talk about it often, but. I got a lot of different options. I still like the PA, physician assistant, just because you got multiple different fields you can work in. Liability is not held directly on me, and yeah. I get more family time. Right. Um, I've been looking at that career a lot. Uh, I told you I like this professor world, PhD. I might, I might just continue going on to UK and get my PhD there. Um, I, I just got a lot of different options. I'm just playing them out, which now I'm a teaching assistant. So I teach uh, microbiology and anatomy. Um, or the teaching assistant in microbiology and anatomy at University of Kentucky. Um, and, I, and I've learned a lot from it. And I've grown a lot from it. I actually love it. I kind of love that teaching aspect of things. Really? Even with today's kids? Well, like I guess in college, college it's different. You know, in college, you pay your money to be here. So yeah, if you so don't want to be here, I'm not going to press it or nothing. Like, I'm here to get my material, everything. Yeah. You got any questions, we'll go over it. But yeah. other than that... And I'll tell you, that has made me learn my materials so much. Because, like, even now when I was applying to, like, that research program that I got into, like, being able to say that I was a teaching assistant, I learned so many more concepts and so much more um, just, like, things you needed to know for that field than what I actually learned while I was trying to do it while playing football. Like, and, like, that was part of the stuff that I was talking about. God needed to show me some things. Like, I felt like after taking a Dirk, Dr. Turk biochemistry class, like, I could have been all right. Leo yeah. says, girl, if you know science, you know what that means. But, uh, <laughs> you're so ugly. <laughs> Lose electrons, oxidize, gain electrons, reduction. Leo says, girl. 
No, I got that. No, that makes sense. No, that makes sense. Okay. He used to say that. Dr. Turk used to say that like every single day. Yeah. Like Leo says, girl, and if you could answer that question, you got, you almost got a point on the test type deal. Um, but I don't even know where I was going with that. God had to show you some things. Yes. Like I was saying, there were just some things that God had to show me like in this teaching assistantship world that like I got a chance to learn. I've actually met a couple students like... Like, I see some of the students now that's actually trying to apply for some of these things. And I can look at them and just tell them, like, you know, I'm not hating or no dreams or anything else. Look into all the different things that you need for this career. You know, because to become a physician assistant, most places require a thousand hours of patient contact, about 50 hours of shadowing a PA, about another 50 hours of volunteer services hours, about... You know, you got to have about a 3.5 GPA. Most of them require the GRE or the CASPA test. Like, I mean, I mean, there's just, there's 10, 12 different boxes that you even just got to better check for this. Like, you know, and just to better be in that moment for some of those students to say, here's an opportunity where you can get some patient experience, you know, and even being in Kentucky, there's not a many diverse students there. Like, you know, we got a lot of international students, but just as far as like a black or African-American or just like a sort of a Mexican, just like, you know, a little bit diverse, sort of that kind of like piece of it, there's not that many of them. So now I can kind of sort of be an advocate for some of those programs. Like, you know, like the Hughes in Medicine or the MLK Center or any of those, like I can actually be there for some of those students and, I'm really hoping even if it's not me that's actually being a change in the medical field, becoming a new doctor to create something, I was able to lead somebody up on that path to even get there for themselves. Thanks, be an example. Yeah. Max. No thanks. That's a big deal. We talk about that often actually, being that great example, not just for yourself, but for all the people mm -hmm. around you. That kind of that stuff kinda of trickles down. People don't ever realize like especially like you being six foot tall, you know what I'm saying? Decently handsome young man. Uh, you feel me? People are gonna watch you anyway. Mm -hmm. So you have a decision to like, let you, you know what I'm saying? You might as well just be that great example. And and think about it, like at Moorhead, and even in Kentucky, how many times did you see someone of your color that was up there at the front of the class? Not many at all. Like every time I walked into a class at Moorhead, 99% of the time, I was the only African-American in that class. I didn't see no African-American teachers, no nothing else like that. So, like, it's even hard sometimes for me or even some of them to even believe that they can even do it because yeah. they've never really seen it, you know? See, I, but I don't, so I don't really register with that. To mm -hmm. me, to me, because, like, so being adopted, color was never something that mattered. Mm -hmm. Right. My parents took us into scenarios where I was just like every other black kid or the only black kid. There could be a hundred, there could be zero, there could be five. Right. I went to the school I went to in Alabama before I moved to Kentucky was almost an all black school. Mm -hmm. The white people were the minority. There was probably five in each grade, six in each grade. Right. And then I moved to Kentucky. It's the opposite. But like that didn't change at any point in time. Me not believing I could be whatever I wanted to be, regardless of my skin color. And that's why I don't believe in critical race theory. Like, I don't I don't agree with that. You should not be telling people that there's a system that's going to hold them back because of the skin color. So now, so like the other day I was talking to a, a friend of mine, her and her fiance broke up, 
right? He he had been cheating on her, a bunch of other stuff. It's irrelevant. So he, so her and I were just kind of talking, and we were. I was explaining to her my relationship, talking to you, you come, but uh, for me, this in life, relationships, life, everything. There's standards, expectation, right? So a lot of people nowadays are unhappy because the expectation they have of life does not match the standards that they live by, right? So if I have high expectations, but I don't have high standards, I'm not going to get the high expectations. And it's very easy for me to blame my skin color, my sex, where I grew up from, all these different things that could all that could be true, could be, but we don't truly know that because you're not matching the standards, right? So like, for example, she would get mad because she would ask him to do the dishes or ask him to cut the grass or do something. And then four days would go by and he wouldn't do it. The dishes wouldn't get done, the grass wouldn't get cut. But he would play Xbox for five to six hours a day. Mm-hmm. So then I was like, so let's look at this. Like, let's be honest. What are your expectations? Do they match someone who plays Xbox for five to six hours a day? Right? And then I was like, so why do you think he does that? And I was like, I bet you. So I was like, before you even answer, I bet you he plays the victim card all the time, doesn't he? She was like, what do you mean? I was like, I bet you he's always like, oh, it's because I'm black. Or this person hates me because I'm black. Or I didn't get this because I'm black or this or that. So at, at a point, why would he try? Right? When you get to 24 and that's all you've been told your whole life, why would you try? I know the system's going to hold me back, so why would I try? I'm just going to play Xbox for five, six hours a day. And that's why I don't believe in critical race theory. Right? Because if you sit here, Courtney, you and I, for me, if it was systematic racism, not one of us would make it. And you feel me? People be like, "Oh, you're adopted. You don't understand." Well, then that shows it's not a it's not a skin color thing. It's how it was raised thing. It's not a skin color thing. If it was systematic racism, not one black person would make it. So I ask you, could you name me a way that white people have oppressed you in your life, stopped you from trying to accomplish something that you wanted to do? A white person was like, "No, you're black. You cannot get this job. No, I'm not giving you this." Right? You can't do that. And none mm-hmm. of them can. No one... Like, I, I'm not saying racism doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. People are like... Said. You know what I'm saying? But on a mass scale, it doesn't happen. And that's not what we should be teaching people. Mm-hmm. Right? And so I don't register with the... So, like, now with Disney, where they were like, we have to make the new mermaid black. Why? So black women can know they can be mermaids? Like, I don't understand, like, what this is... What you're trying to push, right? Because... For me, there was no black president before Barack Obama. So, like, who told Barack Obama? Who did Barack Obama look up to? Another black president somewhere? Mm-hmm. No, he just decided this is what he wanted to be, right? And that's where I, that's where you lose me on that thing because it's just like, no, you should be wanting to tell your kids, no matter what color they are, you can be as great as you choose to be. Mm-hmm. Life is not going to go your way. Yes, you might run into some people who are on that. But that is not that should not be the first thing that you jump to when something doesn't go your way. I completely I, I agree with you. Okay, but there's a couple different points I gotta say here. Um, one, I think that the way you look at it has a lot to do with the way that you were raised. Um, and I feel like I, I can kind of say I was raised I in a similar kind of standpoint of that to say. I don't look at a situation of just being like, oh, I didn't get that because I was black, like, you know, or whatever. Like, I've always looked at it like, you can work hard the better kind of get there. Yeah. Now, you said, um, you asked me, like, have white people ever oppressed me or anything? Now, I'll speak real here for a minute. Uh, I just figured out, you know, maybe you're, I mean, I I knew this, but I didn't actually know the exact origins and different things. 
But I figured out maybe a year or two ago, like my my family and where we come from is slaves. Like I had to realize that it was a late plantation back there where I'm from. That's where they worked at. That's that's where everything kind of come from. So some of the, the the issues or some of the problems that I just kind of see in today's world that makes it difficult for me is my grandfather didn't know how to read and write. Like, because we thinking about in those time frames, we still close to some of those times of civil rights and different things like that, where he was never ever taught to read and write. So my grandfather wasn't, and my grandmother, she, she or my grandmother on my dad's side was not living when I was younger, or she died when I was very younger. And my grandmother on my mom's side is still alive, but her granddad or my granddad on that side passed away pretty soon. So I got one grandmother, one grandfather. In both situations, neither one of those, neither one of them made a life where they can support themselves now. So I do have to feel like a part of that could come from the racism or the issues that we suffer from here in America. Yeah, see, so, but that's not talking to you, though. Here we go. My dad now has to support my granddad. And now that takes away money from me down the line, where I look at some of my other friends that I might have had who might not have been in this situation. We can take color out of it. We're just going to use a press type deal or whatever. Granddad was able to sustain themselves. They were able to support themselves. They made a security and every a social security and everything fun where they were taught all of that at a younger age and now able to supply money down. So instead of dad trying to support granddad, dad and granddad are supporting son. So there's a few more things that they can possibly be able to get support, have a little bit more time for. than I just feel like someone that's in a situation like me, just because my family is now having to deal with just some of the issues that occur over there. So we. We got to spend a little bit more more money. We got to spend a little bit more time. We got to do a little bit more things in this light that someone else might not have to. So does it directly affect me? Yes and no. And I honestly feel like in two generations, I kind of feel like maybe that can be a statement that can sort of be taken out of place of things. But I do feel like there is some detriment that I have to feel there just because my parents are having to take care of their parents because they were never taught how to take care of themselves and how to take care of the family all down the line. And I can give you that. But to the extent of, that's a very minuscule mm -hmm. thing. So like, what is actually the money difference that you possibly got and how would it have helped you? And then my next thing, so you brought up the two generation thing. So I'm gonna give you some that's that's pretty close to almost besides like the Rockefellers mm -hmm. and like two other families. By the second generation, your billionaire's wealth goes down by twenty seven percent. So that also should mean the flip for the other side, which I can say you're almost walking proof of this, and myself included. Because my dad's parents were alcoholics, didn't weren't able to take care of myself themselves, right? My dad's family, brothers, sisters, all had to pull money together to put take put them in a home. Both my parents' parents, 
uh, you know, saying parents, right? We had to do that for both of them. Mm -hmm. So like, and now you look at yourself, where you're headed. I look at myself, where I'm headed. There's two generations. So you could almost say the flip. But what is, to me, it's more about information. So your whole thing about whether, you know what I'm saying, at a point, now that we have that thing that walks around in your pocket, mm -hmm. that can research everything, you have zero excuses to not be successful. Zero. And you and you can say, well, this person may have this advantage, this person had this advantage. Well, does that not make you better? Because you had to learn how to do it differently. They've had help. They haven't had to truly sit down and figure out how to come from nothing. They were handed it. You know, you feel me? Like, come on now, you work hard for things. Mm -hmm. Does that not always go better for you when you work hard? You have to learn skills. You have to learn all these different things that they don't have to learn because they're handed it. So like, so at what point, right, do you just decide, yeah, this is it, but I'm going to work my ass off. Mm -hmm. I'm going to learn all of these things regardless of that. Because truly, Courtney, does that truly stop you at any point in time? You know what I'm saying? Like, does it truly hinder you? Does it truly oppress you? Does it truly slow you down? Does it truly, you feel me? Or, because you know what I'm saying? Like, you are telling, we're telling kids that like, you are oppressed in this country. Like, that is the line that we're walking right now. I think part of it has to do with, so my dad was the first one in the family to go off to college. First one to get his master's degree or anything like that type deal. And I think it has to do with him starting this change in our line of the family. So where I'm going there is though, someone had to be there to sort of give us that blueprint. Whether they didn't might not might not have handed it to us or anything like that. To him. He had to figure it out. That's my point. You're putting my point. But now, as we continue to move down the line, right? He did it. Okay. Does that mean his brother is going to do it? Does that mean the other brother is going to do it? So now, should that child who's next down up in the list be punished for something that he didn't even really know or learn till he was 15 or 16? That the ability that he has, the ability to even change this, the ability to do this, because no one really handed him a blueprint for it. Like, you know, like my dad, I feel like he's handed out a blueprint for me and Chris to say, this is the way you need to better live. Like, you know, if you go ahead and pay stuff now, you can chill when you're 50. When you go ahead and do stuff this and this and that way, you can better do that. And he's handing out a blueprint for us to sort of follow that path, and we can just start laying that brick on down. So now if I can be there to help three more people I hear that. do that, right. they can pass it on down their that. line kind of that. like deal. But I feel like for some of them, and, and I... I I can fault them because, yeah, like you say, we do have a phone nowadays that you can better look up everything and this, this, that. But think about it being a great D-line. Would you be a really great D-lineman or a really great football player if you didn't have a coach that kind of laid down a blueprint for you? Yeah, you can go out and grind and get it all out on your own all you want to. But someone that could just look at you sometimes and say, do it a little bit like this. Try it like that. You need to get a little bit lower type deal. Someone that can just kind of lay out that blueprint so and that it. will make it a easier type route. Well, I'll give you this photo. Are there not coaches that you can get like that? Is there not coaches? Yeah. Could you not find a coach that can do that for you? Right? So like
for example, in but football, you could you not? Fifteen year old, you but you could who, 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 I'm just gonna throw out an African American, whatever, like who's oppressed, who doesn't really have a lot of money, who's living in poverty and different Does things he have like Jordans? that. Huh? Does he have Jordans? I don't know. Probably. I'm not. I'm not a big Jordan fan. No, I'm not either because they're wasting money. But I bet you he does. I bet I you he has a lot of video games. I agree with that. Probably has some chains, some new clothes. But if no one can lay at their parents or no one he knows or even the coach that he knows can lay that out for him, do you really expect him to figure it out before he's 20, before he's 21? Well, that's or do you figure out it's going to be a 30-type deal for him? Hopefully he learns it and now be able to pass it on down his kids. So that's my point, though. If you're spending money on Jordans, you could easily spend that money on a coach. But if he doesn't know that at 15, 16, can you fault that kid? Or do you look at it more as being the parents who are not changing? And that's that's a whole nother level. That's a whole nother I mean, line. It is, it is on the parents mm-hmm. for being selfish and not investing in those kind of things and understanding those kind of things for their kids. But at the same time, I personally, I only can speak for mm-hmm. myself. My parents were not forcing me to learn about taxes, mm-hmm. counting, 401ks. I was 21. By the time I was 21, I read the tax code three times. Mm-hmm. Well, everyone else was watching Netflix, Power, all that stuff. I didn't watch any of that crap. I never cared. It was not important to me. I think I've watched Once Upon a Time and Revenge and The Office. For me, I don't. It's never. That stuff is not important to me. What was I always understood? What was actually genuinely important. Right. And I don't say, I don't think my parents truly had a push in that. Because all of my siblings, they're not like me at all. My my brother Drew, 110% the opposite of me. He but, sits there and watches Netflix all day long. I promise you that's what he's doing right now. But you don't think your parents had any deal to do with laying out a blueprint for that? That was able to put you in some of those situations and some of those moments? So now you were able to learn better in that situation. My parents now- did a good job of making me never lose my desire to want to learn. Mm-hmm. But that's about you for me because I'm going against their blueprint right mm-hmm. now. Like if you ask my dad right now, he would tell you he would much rather me just use my degree and get a job, mm-hmm. not do what I'm doing. Put my money in a 401k. Wait till I'm 60 years old. Do that whole path and do that. But that's what he would rather me do. If they were never there. And they never put you in those situations and you didn't grow up the same exact way you did. Do you think you would be in the same exact place? Do you think you would have read the tax books three times by the same exact place? Probably not. But to say but to say I wouldn't use it as an excuse, I can't. No, I'm not gonna say use it as an excuse. But that is a reason to be that when you have that guidance around you, that helps you more in that place. So now when we looking at some of the kids who are on that poverty line, who do not have that guidance, who are missing a father figure in their life and different things, at 15, 16, pretty much before 20, I feel like I can't fault 100% on that child. Now, if he just don't want to learn it, that's on him, you know. But I feel like I just can't fault that child just 100%. So how much of this do you put on black culture? What do you mean by just black culture? Black culture to me is degenerate. And I and and black culture for me is what pushes these kids to be for me. It's a big psyop, 
right? People are, black people are scared to be different. They all wanna, right? Because if you're different, you get called an Uncle Tom. So it's funny to me that all the successful black people are the ones that get called Uncle Toms. And the ones that say they get act, they act white. So what is acting, my argument is always, what is acting black? Selling drugs, carrying guns? You know what I'm saying? What is acting black? Listening to rap music that doesn't add value to my life brings me lower. Right? The power of the tongue. You know this, you're a spiritual man. The power of the tongue. How powerful is it? So why would I sit there and listen to Little Dirk? Right? You have Little Dirk sitting here rapping. My brother told me, I've tried to buy properties, but my brother keeps telling me to buy Glockies. Why are you putting that in a song that little kids are going to hear? Right? You're sitting there, we idolize. How many people idolize Tyler Perry? They don't. They make fun of Tyler Perry. But I'm supposed to idolize who? Little Dirk doesn't own anything. He can't pass anything to his kids. Tyler Perry, he's got a whole studio, 400 miles long, 400 acres long. Right? So how much of this is on black culture to a point? Because I get what you're saying. Mm -hmm. You didn't grow up in it. All right, so when is black culture going to change? I feel like we got to be the ones to change it. Oh, tenfold. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing. Cause I'm not. I'm not. You feel me? Like I don't never like. Like I said, but I don't. I'm not Moses. But like you compare your like my story to Moses. Like I do sit back and look at where I could have been if I wouldn't wasn't adopted. A hundred percent. Mobile is one of, is like I think they just did a test. Mobile, Alabama, is the third most dangerous city in the planet or in America. So like I, I give credit to that. Like I know where I could have grown up and what I was supposed to be or what I could have been. But at the same time, like, that's why I'm giving back to people. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to show people there's a different way to do this. And I'm trying to give back to the community. But the community goes, you're an Uncle Tom. You didn't grow up like I grew up, so why would I listen to you? You had two parents. You grew up with white people. You had this. So, like, do you not... So you're putting yourself in a box now. So at no point, you can no longer blame white people. It is you. It is your community. It is your culture. It is your things that you're doing. Because obviously... You don't want to listen. Like, regardless of where I came from, if I'm trying to do something that you want to do, why the hell would you not listen? Regardless of where I came from, regardless of how I grew up. Well, you don't know. You didn't have to. You didn't. You had both your parents. You don't know what it's like to not have it. Why does that matter? Why does that matter? All I, all I can do is tell you how to start a business, become a better person, get closer to God, help you in all these areas. Why does it matter where I came from? Why does it matter what my skin color is? Like, I know dudes, oh, I don't listen to white people, but I don't want to listen to no white person. So you don't want to learn because they probably can teach you some crazy things that you never even imagined. Right. And I, like I just said on the episode when I was with him, black people have a sense of tribalism. That is keeping them in this box. Why, did, like, why does it matter? Like, let me know, like, why Why does it matter that you can't learn from someone because they got a different skin color? Like, they didn't grow up like how you grew up. I don't understand why that matters. I understand your point. I do. Um, I, don't, I don't really truly feel like it should matter that much or it shouldn't matter at all. Um, I, I think it more relates to, like I say, someone who grew up in that field or that time where they didn't have anyone to guide them at all. So now me being that figure, 
remember when I was talking about kind of like earlier about like fathers and how we need more fathers and different things like that. I'm hoping me being in that teaching position, being well, up there, being able to that. do that, yeah. can be my dad that took that child home. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Kind of like the on a guidance for a thing like that. Yeah. Because, like I said, I, I do feel like there there are just some people who, which I know some of them, like grew up without a father, mom worked at night, like they just pretty much did whatever. Like they didn't really have any guidance. They didn't have any parents that grew them up, brought them up in a certain type of way. So I feel like as a 15, 16 year old, it's hard for me to fault them. It's hard for me to look at them and say, you should have been doing this or you should have been doing that or whatever, this, this, that. Like, they never had any guidance. They didn't have any blueprint. Yeah, no, 15, 16 is not your fault. That's what I'm talking but about. 21, 22, 23. At that point, that's when you start to become a man and you got to start making your own decisions. Yeah. But as a 15, 16-year-old, no. just moving off to college and yeah. different things like that, it, it, it's just kind of hard for me to fault them at times because it's just so much that they probably had to battle through. So that leads me to my question. How mm -hmm. much do you put on black culture? Because I can give you, your dad's generation probably had a lot more r real racism to deal with. Because mm -hmm. black culture right now is what? Nicki Minaj, Cardi B, Doja Cat, Lil Dirk, Lil Baby, Tory Lanez. Everyone's trying to be cool, videotaping fights, being the plug, being the weed man is the cool thing to do. I hear you. Um, how much of the how much of people don't listen to Big Sean? You ever you ever listen to Big Sean? You talking about Sean Kingston? Oh, shit, that's wrong. <laughs> See, that's exactly my point. Big Sean, you ever go home on your way home, listen to some Big Sean, Detroit too. And tell me if you don't feel like a new man. But people don't listen to Big Sean. Because he's not rapping what they want to hear. But then he's not rapping black culture. And I think it's a big psyop where, where, where black people have been able to push themselves into this victim mentality. And it's just easier to me to blame. Well, I'm black, so I, I'm not going to accomplish anything. I'm black, they're going to keep me back. But I didn't get this because I'm black. And it's just easier to do that. Instead of taking accountability, and that's where they've gotten comfortable at, and that's where we, you feel me? But they, but, and this is where I need black people to understand, and usually I can get black people to understand this mm -hmm. when I paint the picture on a different group of people, right? So, like, in our country, there's a push for the victim mentality. Victim, being the victim is now being the new underdog. Right, so we don't compete about, we don't argue about, like if you get on social media, right, they're not sitting there arguing about, well, I overcame this or I came overcame this. It's, no, I, I, I had this done to me and this happened to me and this is happening to me and woe is me and this and this and this. And they all compete to say who can be the woest of me's instead of being, yeah, I was this, this did happen to me, but I overcame this. Look what I've done to overcome this, right? That's what we have to get back to. So when you paint people as victims and you're giving people incentives to be victims, right? So there's an incentive to be a victim. There's an incentive to believe that you need the government to take care of you because you're a victim, right? That's what, that's, I, I don't believe like, so like the difference between like socialism and capitalism, right? I believe, I do believe like there are a group of people on the planet that we as citizens should have to pay to take care of, right? People who are truly handicapped, special needs, that kind of thing. But because you grew up in a single father home or a single mother home, I don't understand why my money has to go to you because your parents made bad decisions. 
Now, I will do it because I'm a good person and I want to help, but it shouldn't be demanding of that. And you see how in section eight, right? If you know, like, so if you go down to section eight, it is the mothers lose their money and will get kicked out if, a, if they get remarried or bring a father into the home. Mm -hmm. So you're incentivizing women to be single and raise black kids in single mother homes. And we just gave the stat about what happens in single mother homes compared to two parent homes and a single father home. Right. And that extends all the way through. Black people are not the only people it's happening to. Right. They're incentivizing people to do the victim thing mm -hmm. and stay victims. Like I was just talking to a girl the other day. She was saying she uh, she was saying because I was helping her. She wanted to start a business. So we were talking back and forth about it. And she was saying, well, I can't get this job and make this much money because then I'm going to lose my food stamps and this and this. So I'm like, so you're seeing how they're trying to pay you to keep yourself average. They're incentivizing you to stay average and not start your own thing. They're incentivizing it. You, we'll talk about divorces, right? They incentivize women to leave. You get 50% of his stuff, and if you have kids, he's paying you alimony. He has to keep up your way of living. So it's truly, you get 50% of his stuff, 60% of his paycheck, and you get to keep the kids. So as soon as he doesn't make you happy for a good period of time, it's okay for you to leave. They incentivize it, right? And they incentivize black people to be victims. That's why I don't like the whole uh, um, affirmative action. Just because I'm black or gay doesn't mean I get special treatment. Doesn't mean I should get the job before anyone else. It's a merit-based. Am I the best candidate for this spot? So let's switch it. If you were, if you were, if you were, if you're, you're black, Mm -hmm. And we're in a switched world. You get passed up for a job just because this person is white. How would you feel? Not too happy. You know what I'm saying? So why does it get to happen the other way? Right? They incentivize black people to be victims. That's why they keep pushing this on us. And they keep wanting you to do this. Because as soon as black people realize, hey, I'm not a victim. I'm almost just as equally, if not more equally, Powerful than everyone else on this planet. I just have to decide to become that. I have to decide to step away from the things of the flesh and become more aligned. Okay. So we was talking about black culture and different things. How much of like incentives and like government incentives and government payouts do you put towards some of the black culture and then some of the black or you just said black or some of the poverty type uh, movements or different things that we do. How much of the government do you feel like you put into that perspective? Oh, 50%. Easily. I, I, I'll admit, it's a big psyop. Top to bottom, a big psyop. That's why I'm saying the psyop is not like black people don't want to be different. Mm -hmm. Right? If we keep pushing all of this stuff, materialistic things, Gucci, buy this, buy this, you get some money, get a car, get a chain, do this, you never, they'll never get ahead. But at the same time, that's why it's only 50. Because at a certain point, you have to start exactly. You have to start doing your own research and doing your own thing and start figuring it out. And my argument to the black culture being degenerate, because my brother tried this, he goes, well, don't other people steal our culture? And it's like, okay, you're right. Black culture now is probably the preventative culture mm -hmm. amongst people, right? White people listen to rap. They're doing all this and that. Have they not gotten more degenerate over the years? 
Has our country as a general whole not gotten more degenerate over the years? Yeah, but I don't know if you can fully say that was just due to black culture. No, it's due to the psyop okay. that we're all under. But I'm saying, you feel me? Right now, you can't tell me that there's truly beneficial things to the new black culture that we're in. Can you can't even, them? Like, even like the culture appropriation thing with cornrows. Cornrows came from the Vikings. Cornrows mm -hmm. didn't even come from Africa. But people don't do enough research into it, and they just know that black people wear cornrows nowadays. But the Vikings wore cornrows when they went to battle because they didn't cut their hair. So by putting their hair in cornrows, they didn't have to worry about their hair getting in their face while they're trying to cut someone's head off. Yeah, for me it's just one big psyop, mm -hmm. and I just don't, I just can't, I just don't relate to that. And I, you for me, you call me all the Uncle Toms and whatever that people want to call me, whatever. But it's just like, right, I, I'm doing this so I can help teach you guys, but there's no way, easy way to tell you that you have to leave that crap behind. Now I do like it on an entertainment platform because it's giving them the opportunity to make a difference, even if they did not make a positive difference, it still does give them the opportunity to make a difference. Um, so I'm still kind of happy for the culture in that setting. I mean, I agree with you. There are a lot of, I've always said this, I feel like there's a lot of things as black people we have to do better. Um, you know, before I feel like we can point, I'm always a big advocate, before you can point the finger at somebody else, you got to point it at yourself first. Um, so I am a big advocate, there are a lot of things that we can do better as a Just whole. like black people who get rich and then move away, and then don't give back at all. Like, this is you, you're equally the problem. So you obviously were smart enough to figure out that you couldn't, you feel me, that's why they leave, right? That's why they leave. They realize that the culture and this, that, and the third, so that's why they leave. So it's like, obviously you realize that, but why are you not coming back to help the other people behind you? You know? Do you think, do you think we make the culture or you think we're born into the culture? Ooh, that's a tough question. Me and Brandon actually sat in the car for five hours and we pondered this question. Because the question is, because that's the same question as the society make the people or do the people make society? Mm -hmm. And my answer, I finally came to this. I think there's a good percentage of people who decide who they want to be and they make the society around them conform to them. Therefore, society changes. Martin Luther King. Jesus. Right? All these kind of people, they decide who they want to be and they don't care about society. But that's kind of like the godly, you know what I'm saying? The godly that, thing. Yeah. That you feel me? But I think there's a lot more sheep who get influenced by society. But I think there are a group, there are people who decide, yeah, I don't want to be, I want to be who I want to be. I'm who I am. But that's why Christianity in general is under attack. And that's why you can't be Christian in communistic dictator countries because you can't have individuals you can't have people thinking on themselves being individual thinkers I really wish Christianity was bigger I feel but there's like a reason it was for growing up I feel like it was a lot more than what we're at now in the world but there's a reason for that I mean Christianity is under the same psyop that the black community is under the same psyop women are under now Right? It's the same side. Christianity 
is is under a, we're gonna we're gonna wash down the true depth and meaning of Christianity. So therefore, our kids gonna go up getting it right. They started pushing sports and all these things. So now instead of us going to church, we're spending our weekends at the football field. We're spending our weekends at the basketball court, traveling, doing all these things. So now we're not we're not even truly learning God and getting built into that relationship. And on top of that, they're gonna hop on TV. They're gonna talk bad about Christianity. You got all these liberal people sitting on Facebook who have never read the Bible, telling you all these things about why your religion is wrong. And Christians just sit back and be tolerant of it. Right? I was telling them last night, you don't see people attacking the Islamic faith. Why is that? Muslims have made it very clear, you do not talk about our people. You do not talk about our religion. We're not here to be made fun of. So as Christians, how can we overcome that? You better get ready to be, get called all the misms. That's how you overcome it. The, the politically correct and all this. And like I, I've said before, I don't care if I'm a preacher. You can be gay, you can be trans, you can be whatever you want. But if you think that I'm going to come, you're going to come to my church and I'm going to water down my religion to make you more comfortable, you're wrong. But I'm not judging you. I'm going to love you the same. Because it's not me, my place to judge. You, you feel me? When you die, my maker and your maker is going to judge you. And I know that my maker is going to judge me for being mean to you. For not treating you with respect. So I'll do that regardless. That doesn't mean I have to accept your sin. That doesn't mean I have to bend my views to fit your, to make you feel comfortable. It's kind of like what Eddie Murphy said with the, the abortion thing. Right? Like... I, women, I should, the government should have no right to tell you what to do with your body because it's a slippery slope, right? Just like with the with the vaccine thing, mm-hmm. people didn't understand the hypocrisy of that, and they try to form it to make themselves feel better. It's like no, just as the government, the government can demand me to take this vaccine, they also can demand you don't get to have an abortion. Like that's the same for me thing. That's why I don't agree. The government shouldn't demand, be able to command and demand either one of those. But let's not try to soften what an abortion is to make yourself feel better. You're killing a baby. Point blank period. You're killing a baby. You can tell, call whatever you want to make yourself feel better. That's what you're doing. Right? And it's the same thing. You come to my church. You can be gay as you want. I'm not the one to judge you. I'm going to respect you regardless. But you're going to leave most of that at the crib because we're in church so there's no reason to even talk about the kind of sex you're having because we're at church so it doesn't even really matter. But secondly, it's not my place to judge. My maker is going to judge you the same way he judged me. And I'm not going to sit, I'm not going to be mean to you because that's not who I am. That's not what my maker calls me to be. And people will be like, well, Jesus would have been a liberal. No, you must not remember. Jesus told Mary and told the people, thou who has not sinned, cast the first stone. But what he tell, what he tell Mary though? Now don't sin again. Yeah, he might have kicked it with the liberals, but he would have been, don't sin again. I still love you, but don't sin again. So there's a difference. So as Christians, we have to become less tolerant. Now, I'm not saying get all of in people's faces, blah, 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 blah. But not. Nah, we got to start standing on our faith. We have to start living by our faith, like truly living it, like living it, being that example of that. Like for me, I don't even quote scriptures that often, but everyone knows I'm Christian because how I'm living. We have to start passing forward, pay it forward, 
going out of our way, being that extension, that great example. How did Jesus, so, so I was telling them, Jesus is fighting the same thing we're fighting. How did he do it? Did he sit there, grab a sign and yell? Or was he serving people? But what does that cause you to do? Not be selfish. It's hard for Christians to do. You got to put others first. I'm glad you said that because it kind of reminded me of kind of taking it into like the black culture kind of like the, I mean, looking at it from that same exact perspective. If we can stand on it, we can better go in and really try to help things out. It's a way to kind of change it. You say you need a lot more fathers, a lot more respectable people in the world. Black culture means a lot more Jesus. That too. And it's hard because I know I feel like you hear it a lot that Jesus is this just made up character from the white people and us black people are just so stupid for following and all that. I know you hear that one too. Christianity within the, in Africa before the colonizers got there. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. This is a big tie-up. They made when they make when they're able to make anything political, people just identify with that political party, so they don't understand. They they just believe whatever that political party actually says. They don't actually do their own research and like dive into what things actually are. You know what I'm saying? And that's where the issue comes. Like even with like the Black Lives Matter stuff, like. People never really did the research to know that Black Lives Matter was a Marxist group. People don't even know what Marxism is. You know what I'm saying? So it's easy to fall for things when you don't know. But as one of my favorite uh, judges says, ignorance of the law is no excuse. So ignorance is no excuse. But that's why I say education over entertainment, bro. Education over entertainment. Yeah. At a young age, that's what I'm teaching my kids. Education over entertainment. Gotta have it. Gotta have it. Gotta be up willing to learn. Never lose that. Like one of the biggest things my parents did when I had questioned it was never, well, I'm gonna tell them it's you better go get a dictionary and figure out. Even though back in the day we had encyclopedias. You feel me, bro? Uh, he had a whole encyclopedia, like 20 of them stacked up there, bro. Any question I had, you can go look in the encyclopedia. You can find it yourself. Yeah. And then whenever we got iPods or whatever, it was like, you better look it up. Just search it. Yeah, that's what we need more of. That's what you got to push on people. But yeah, we do. Oh, yeah. No doubt. I believe I've I have more faith than I have doubts or anything else. So I don't I'm not worried at all. I think I think we're treading down a path, and I think a lot of people are starting to wake up and starting to realize, as a, in in general. But I think the black see what makes me mad though, like genuinely, is mm -hmm. it seems like so like to me it's just like as like back to the political thing, like black people have been voting Democrat for how many years? Why? And ain't nothing's changed. So how, how much longer are you gonna? You feel me? Right. Go back, go back to the girlfriend thing that we were talking about earlier. If it takes you fifty years for something to change, it's kind of like okay. So maybe what are you fifty seven? You think they're gonna get better? Like no, right? What do you like? Pay attention to what's going on. But I think a lot of them are starting to wake up. 
But I don't think they realize that if they don't, they're gonna get the worst of it. And that's what that's what that's what makes me mad. It's like you guys are truly voting for your own and supporting your own downfall to a point. Cause I mean just look at any of the big democratic cities, San Francisco, New York, Chicago. Atlanta's closed. But I think there's too many uh actually I I'm not saying Atlanta's close. I mean, I'm not gonna have this conversation because we're gonna put this on YouTube. I don't want this to get banned. Atlanta's not getting close. I'll I'll tell you why later, but Atlanta's not getting close. And you can see that when you drive around. Like if you pay attention to the news, maybe. But if you actually drive around and like go down there and like talk to people, Atlanta's nowhere close. Nowhere close. They try to paint it as we are, nowhere close. Yeah. No. But bro, I appreciate you joining me. Uh, We've had a good talk. This is kind of hard talks normally, though, isn't it? It really is. I felt like, bro, we was just chilling at my house. Yeah, like, dude, like yeah. this is exactly how it is when we just be chilling, just yeah. get to talking. We had to start doing, like, cigars or something. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Just kind of the cigars and you ban the conversations in the cigar lounge or something. Yeah, I'm working on that, actually. Like, as something... Well, not just podcast-wise, but, like, I want to have my own, like, cigar lounge to, like, have business meetings in mm-hmm. and, like, all that kind of stuff. So I'm actually... That's something I'm working for. That'd be hard. You know what I'm saying? Have your own private lounge. And you, of course, we can record some podcasts in there, too, but for me, just my own private cigar lounge, have my meetings in, mm-hmm. type of thing, yeah. But I appreciate you coming, bro. Yes, sir. I appreciate you having me, fam. I'm humble and honored. I'll probably see you in like two weeks. I'll be right there waiting for you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. Well, once again, appreciate it. Appreciate all of you. Make sure you subscribe, like, all that good stuff. Thank you for coming. Ooh, I forgot to say, where can they find you, Courtney? Sure, me? Yeah. Um, I don't, I'm not a big social media type oh, okay. person. Yeah. I mean, I get on it, I have it, but like, I'm not a big, just big social media, but I mean, I got Instagram. Got Instagram, C underscore lay underscore 56. Um, and that's about it. You can find me on Facebook, Courtney Lay, C-O-R-T-N-E-Y-L-A-Y-E. Thank you all. Make sure you follow Courtney.